0: Hello and welcome to the Days Science Happier Warriors podcast. I'm your host Matt Pettis. So Holy gets hired by the county to paint the yellow stripe on the middle of the road. So the county supervisor takes him out, drops him out with a paint can and a paintbrush. Holy goes. Whole day comes back at the end of the day. Supervisor does picks him up. Holy's gone and done five miles. Supervisor's happy. Next day supervisor takes him out, drops him off again. Holy a paintbrush and the paint can lets him go. Comes back in the day. Holy's done two miles. Supervisor is not as happy, but doesn't say anything. Goes home, comes back next day, drops off Oli in the beginning of the day, paintbrush, paint can. lets him go, comes back in the day. Oli's done just a tenth of a mile. Now the supervisor's mad. He goes, Oli, how can we get less and less work done every day? Oli goes, well, every day it keeps getting longer and longer to go back to the paint can. So today we're going to talk about technical debt. This idea, this concept is everywhere. But it first got coined by a very accomplished computer programmer named Ward Cunningham. In fact, he invented the idea of wikis and wikis itself. He was trying to find a way to describe uh, to his bosses a certain problem or a certain phenomenon in programming. So here's a typical problem-solving arc in a coding project or in any project. First, someone sees that there's a problem. Second, they try to distill the problem down to its essential parts. What really is the problem that's going on? What are, these, what are the key pieces? And then once they figure that out, the last step they do is they execute some plan that solves the essential parts. For coders, for data scientists, that's pretty much architecting and writing code. But here's the thing. Problems are, well, problematic. There are at least two ways your solution can really fail. First, you may have misunderstood the true nature of the problem. Things you thought were minor issues are really major issues, or vice versa. Second, the problem can shift underneath you. In this case, you didn't misjudge what was major or minor. The things that were major or minor changed from underneath you from when you originally solved the problem. In either case, the way that that manifests itself is usually that you discover that it is really hard to change parts of your solution to adapt to the new findings about what the real true nature of the problems are. And you realize that had you maybe solved the problem differently in the first place, the change you now want to make would not be so hard. This is technical debt. It's about having a solution to a problem. Knowing that change is going to need to happen to your solution and realizing that if you did some extra reworking of original solution now, then the future change you need to make won't be that hard or as hard as it would be without that extra rework. Imagine you have a favorite place that you like to go camp and it's across a ravine. So you make a cheap and easy rope bridge and that works fine. Now, at some later date, you need to get a wagon across that ravine. The rope bridge doesn't work for that currently. You could add a bunch of rope to it to make it stronger and add some planks to make it wider, and this may work. But now, before you do this, you should pause. You should think. Do you expect to have to transport anything heavier than the wagon in the future? You might. And this is technical debt you have a choice at this point you can tinker with the existing rope bridge sinking in time and resources to do that or you can tear the whole thing down and put up a new structure one that you know could be easily extended to carry more weight the key here is reasonably predicting the future if you don't reasonably think that you'll have to get more than a wagon across you expand the rope bridge Period. that's the easy solution if you think you'll need more support in the future if you need to get something heavier across in the future than just a wagon and you will have to do that reasonably soon you tear down the rope bridge and you make one with a better foundation that can be extendable and the opportunity to start afresh happens more often in software than in a lot of other disciplines the architect Frank Lloyd Wright said quote the doctor can bury his mistakes but an architect can only advise his clients to plant vines so how does this look in data science And what are the things that we can do about it? Here's a good example. You often get data in CSV files or Excel files. One benefit is that they usually have column headers in them. One disadvantage is to data that comes in with column headers from people who have Excel files is that those column headers have names that have spaces and commas and characters in there that are nice for descriptive purposes but aren't so nice when you want to use them as names within your program in R or Python. So you usually have to change them to something that you can use. Something that only has letters, numbers, underscores, but has no spaces, commas, parentheses, percent signs, and things like that. When I first started doing this, I would usually change those column names by hand. What I learned is that as projects go on, lots of times clients will come and they'll give me more and more and more columns. So one project, when I started changing these columns by hand, I got about 20 to 30 columns in after about two or three iterations. And I realized this is going to kill me. I can't hand change all these column names, remove all the offending characters, and make sure that they don't have the same names as previous columns and actually do my job. More time actually went into changing the column names and actually doing the modeling at that point. This is my technical debt. I found out that the easy solution, which was hand changing column names, which I thought was a minor problem, actually became a major problem because what I didn't anticipate was them giving me more and more columns to have to change. So now I'm at an impasse how do I deal with this? Well, it turns out in both Python and R, there's a package called Janitor that will do this work for you. Now, you wasn't aware of this when I first started this particular project I'm thinking of. And when you do that, it will do exactly what you need. It'll automatically remove those offending characters and make unique names. In fact, it'll also guarantee that you won't have uh, colliding names or columns with the same names from left to right as you go. If it does, it'll, it'll, it'll Postpend a 1 or a 2 or some special character to make sure that you have unique column names. In this particular project though I was halfway in. I'd been naming things by hand and I also realized that if I used the generator package to do this well it's gonna change them from my original names. Or it's not going to do it the same way that I did originally. So here's my dilemma. Do I start and start using the generator package and just rework all the column names using the generator package or do I grit my teeth and keep digging and do it by hand for the rest of this project. That's a hard call. What was important here or what what the trade-offs were in doing this? On the one hand I could use Janitor and I could change all these names and it was fast and it was easy. Once I discovered it, it was fantastic. The problem is at some points in the code I had already started to use the names explicitly in my code from the columns I had already hand-rolled. So, if I change the Janitor, I have to go through and change all those other previous occurrences of my hand rolled names to the ones that Jander created. I have to ask myself, is it worth it? And that's the dilemma. You have to know in your data science project, when you encounter technical debt, when you realize that a problem you thought was minor is major, you have to ask yourself, is it worth solving for this particular project? And there isn't a clear-cut answer. You have to weigh the pros and cons. In this case, The pros are, it'll automatically do it as new columns come in. It'll do it for me. The cons are, I have to right now go back and redo work where I have to change names that I already use that I can't use anymore if I use a janitor package. So how do I decide? In this case, I decided to actually use janitor. And how could I do that? The first thing I thought about was, can I easily change my code? In this case, the answer is yes. Partially because I didn't use them in a lot of places but partially also because I know how to use the command line and search and replace tools to change the places in my code from the old names to the new names. The second question I asked myself was do other people depend on this code? In this case the answer was no luckily. If other people depend on your code you'd have to coordinate with them and tell them if you're going to use generator package and tell them I'm changing names is that okay? Can you work with that? If the answer is no You're kind of out of luck, and you have to keep going with your current solution. There are more examples of technical debt, and we'll talk about those in future podcasts. And we'll also talk about the good design decisions that you can make to avoid technical debt when you can. So, here's the deal. You and I, and especially I, always get technical debt because I don't know everything. But I've developed a smell test. When I start to get frustrated, I ask myself, What's really hard or annoying about the problem here? Why am I frustrated? I try to identify what the heart of that is. The next step, and this is crucial, is I ask myself, is it likely that smarter people than me have hit this problem? And if so, do they likely leave mere mortals like myself solutions to this? Nicely, the answer is usually yes. However, the next problem is, how do you find these solutions? And this is actually harder. Googling only works if you know good keywords or where to look. What if you don't even know what the vocabulary of your problem is? And so I think I've learned how to go about solving these problems in two ways. The first one is brute force. It's brute force Googling. And then picking up hints about what the common vocabulary is after sorting through a, a ton of dead ends of Googling. This is the hard, as I said, brute force way. But sometimes it's the only way to go forward. The second thing is... And I do this now as a professional is that I proactively read about packages in the language I'm programming in. If someone solves a problem, they'll often contribute a package that solves a problem in a very um, generalized way. For me, the best place to start for this is to Google something known as awesome. And different programming languages like R and Python and Java and Scala and all these things usually have a dedicated page by someone or a couple of dedicated pages to helpful packages in that particular language. So for instance, since I use R, I Google Awesome R. And in that case, people have curated pages of lots of helpful packages by R with a little synopsis of what those packages do. So what I do is, every now and then when I have some time, I'll Google Awesome R and I'll scan through that page and I'll look to see if there's new packages out there or what the packages are. And they're usually classified nicely. They'll categorize things like they're in like geospatial stuff or they'll be in statistics stuffs or they'll be in machine learning areas and you just scan through them and see what are the areas that people are doing packages in and you see what problems they've solved. Another one is time series. What are the time packages that people have put together for ours people deal with dates and times and date times and time zones and things like that. And you scan through this package and you see what are they trying to solve there. And you try you don't have to memorize what they're doing. You just look at that and you see what's going on, what are they solving? And you remember that there might be something there that you can use. And so you'll come back to it if you ever hit a time series problem or a time problem and come back to that page and say, well, what are the packages? And scan through that. And it's usually a fairly quick scan to see if you can find what the solutions are. Another way in addition to awesome is that I follow very specific people in my field on Twitter. I narrow in on ones who will tweet about cool packages or solutions that they found. And I suggest finding those people. For R, I follow... Mara Averick and Jenny Bryan for Linux things I follow Julia Evans and for assortment of topics I follow John Cook and for instance if you want to follow Mara Averick on Twitter she's at data and me if you want to follow Jenny Bryan she's at Jenny Bryan and if you want to follow John Cook he's at, at John D. Cook and if you want to follow Julia Evans she's at at Bork with a zero instead of an O so it's at B0RK and that's it for now Thanks for listening and keep fighting the good fight. You need to go to bed now that you know the no is full. Caffeine isn't working anymore, it only makes you tremble. And the sunlight burns right into your skull. And if this is the moment,